Let's pray together. Father, we honor your name. We glorify you. You are God and God alone. And we pray, Father, now as we continue in this service, we come to your word and we pray that our hearts will be open and our minds open to hearing what you have to say perhaps in a fresh and new way by the working of your spirit in our hearts for we want to hold you up before our world in how we speak and how we live we pray God that you would help us to trumpet your name above all names in the name of Jesus above all names and God that we would call those around us bow their knee here and experience eternal life before it is everlasting too late to recognize that it is right and good for us as your creations to worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That our lives are not our own. They belong to you. And so God, we ask you to work in us to help us, your church, to be able rightly to communicate that help this message, Lord, be one that uh, you can use toward that end in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are glad that you're here today, and we're going to continue our series that we're in on True Lines. Let me just say that uh, it's not in the announcements on the screen, but the next Sunday, right after the service, uh, Michael Kinder and his family will be in the commons area. As you leave, there'll be some water, coffee, things of that nature, if you have to wait just a moment. Uh, no food, but... Uh, you can uh, go by and meet Michael and his family there if you've not been able to meet them yet and put a name with a face. And so we encourage you to be a part of that next Sunday right after the morning service. Well, over the past week or two, uh, Joe Rogan, former UFC commentator, comedian, and now podcaster, has been embroiled in controversy. Uh, Rogan, whose podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, has 11 million listeners per episode, so it eclipses a lot of uh, the networks as far as audiences listening to shows, even the main networks. And he recently became the target of some people out to destroy his platform. In various contexts over the past several years and discussions with people about race and culture, uh, Rogan had used the, uh, the racial slur, the N-word, on his show in those discussions. And so a few guys, three or four guys, strung several times the word was said on his show all together, and they just released it without any context. And so Rogan found himself on the defensive over the past several days, denying that he was a racist. He made a few apologetic comments that I think were sincere, but now he is being defended by everyone from Donald Trump to UFC fighter Israel Adesanya, who have told him to stop apologizing to the cancel culture crowd. You know, for most, most people in our culture, outside of rappers like Snoop Dogg, who will be performing at the Super Bowl tonight, and others, that word is out of bounds. And it should be out of bounds for everybody. It is the one main word one is not to say because of all the baggage that is attached to it and because it is offensive and is demeaning and it is hurtful to others. It is a word one is to avoid and one that carries in our culture, even to this day, some measure of shame when it is used. And that is the connection Rogan's critics were seeking 
to use to their advantage. They were seeking to shame him in relationship to the idea that people think this is shameful, he is a racist, this is wrong, and he uttered that word, and their goal was to deplatform him or have his show canceled. Now, our culture doesn't care about uh, most any other words anymore. It is a culture of expletives and name-calling with no bounds. Even whereas hardened men, where I grew up in Alabama, used to watch their manners and the words around women and girls, that is no more. Because the women's and girls' mouths are often now filled with what used to be known as sailor's language. But this one word, and people's reaction to it, reminds us that deep inside we know that words have power. Words matter. Words shape the world. Words say something about us, and we must conclude that... uh, that words say something about us and about the world, and we must conclude that we should be concerned as well about our use of language because God is concerned about it. And so in our text this morning, we find that God does care about the use of words, particularly when it comes in relationship to His name. And thus, again, if He cares about language, so should we. And so in our True Line series, this is a good place to talk about words and languages, uh, language as followers of Jesus. So this morning we're going to deal with the third commandment and we're going to focus on God's name and our not defaming his name, not using his name in vain. And tonight I'm going to preach a message that deals with Christians and words or our language more generally and kind of be in the New Testament tonight at 530 in that service. But for this morning, to get us started in a message that I've entitled, Honor God's Name and Word and Deed, let's turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, where we find the listing of the Ten Commandments, and then we'll read a couple of other uh, passages before we jump off into this today. Exodus 20 and verse 7. The Word of God says, the Lord says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or, older translations, you should not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And we'll come back to this verse and we'll close the message today with this verse. And we'll read it then again, but right now to get us started... Paul says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then, I want you to turn to Matthew 6, verse 9, just the beginning of of the Lord's prayer, or the disciples' prayer, the way, the framework Jesus gave us to pray. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. True Lines, message number 23. A series in which we're learning about our faith from the ground up. We're in a section where we've learned about the grace of God. That we have been saved by a gift God has called us and saved us and rescued us from our sins and brought us into his family. We now belong to him. 
Remember, he begins the Ten Commandments. Before he gives the commandments, he reminds them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. And he has saved us as his people, as he did the Jews. And so as his chosen people, we are now to grow to become like Christ Jesus, the perfect man. We are to grow back toward what we will become in eternity, perfectly glorified beings who fully love, obey, honor, and worship God freely and passionately. And that's what God is doing in our lives now that we have been saved. That is called sanctification. He is making us holy. The Spirit of God, as we moved into the section a couple of weeks ago, helps us grow. He lives in us, the Holy Spirit. He helps us grow and mature in one way by giving us commands and directions to follow. And so we're looking at some of those right now in this part of this series. Some of the big sections of material that talk about how God's people are to live. And so right now we're focusing on the Ten Commandments. Nine of those commandments are repeated in the New Testament. And so we're to live by nine of those. The only one that is not repeated is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we talked about that before. And so we're called to obey these. And so in this one today, God tells us, in this command, he tells us to honor his name. Represent me well, he says, in your daily life by not misusing my name. Now, what is the core issue here? Why is God concerned about this? What is the main thing he's raising here? What is God saying when he says, my followers, indeed the world, really, is never to take my name in, quote, unquote, vain? No Old Testament scholars tell us that this idea of taking the Lord's name in vain, or as others put it, raising up Yahweh's name for no good, at its core is related to the idea of using God's name or calling on His name to guarantee my words. That is like an oath or a promise. That is, I guarantee to do something based on His name. I use God's name to guarantee that I'm going to follow through with my word and be honest. So in slang today, how some might would say it, that um, somebody might say that, well, you know, that uh, I'm going to do this, and I, I swear on my mama's grave that I'm going to do this. And so you're using the, right, the, the name of your mother to say that you're backing up what you're going to do, the, the mom that you respect in that way. And so the idea at its core of using God's name in this way, being wrong, is, is when we use it to guarantee our words, but you're really lying or committing perjury, like in a court of law. You're saying that in God's name I say these words, but you are not being true. You're finding a way to get around the, the truth in some ways. And so you should never use God's name for falsehood. Now, what can help us see the point, perhaps, is a, another passage that was on the screen in the beginning of the passages for today, but I didn't read it deliberately because I want to come to it now. And that's in Matthew chapter 23, if you would turn there, in verses 16 through 22, where Jesus is calling out the uh, hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So in Matthew 23, beginning in verse uh, 16... Jesus says, woe to you, blind guide. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. You see, Jews considered God's name so holy that when a scribe was copying Scripture, one manuscript to another, and he came to the name of God, that scribe had to reverently wipe his pen and say, quote, I'm writing the name of God for the holiness of his name. Jews were careful when writing his name when even saying his name. In this passage we just read, we see that the Pharisees had come up with a bunch of arbitrary rules by which people could swear on their words in relationship to certain things, certain things that they could get by with, certain things not. But the idea was that maybe these rules were there to give people pathways with an intent to deceive. But Jesus calls them out. And he notes that all of these things were related to God and the worship of God. And thus they were using God's name in vain, even if they were not saying the word God. And so what Jesus is getting at here is that uh, you and I, as his people, should be so honest in our words, have such integrity in our words, that we never should have to swear oaths. And a lot of the things he rebukes are people that are using things to have oaths by which to not do what they should do. Such as, remember when people were saying that uh, they had possessions and they called them Corban, so they would get around being able to help their parents with their needs because they're saying this was dedicated to God. But they really had no intention of dedicating it to God. They were just playing word games. And they were misusing God's name in relationship to all of that. And so the reason this is so serious is that God's name is tied to his character and reputation, as is yours and mine, over time. So Proverbs 22.1 reminds us about our name and character. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. God cares about his name, his integrity. And he doesn't want his name to be misused and somebody to use his name to say they're backing up their faulty human words and then they don't follow through. That is using his name in a harmful way, misrepresents his perfect character. And so as an idol misrepresents him, so do we as his image bearers when we flippantly use his name or invoke his name related to the veracity of our words. But as with these uh, other ten words or ten commandments, scholars tell us they are written in such a way that they are to be applied more broadly. These are broad categories in the ten commandments. Remember Jesus talked about the law and the prophets being able to hang on the first big two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. All the other laws hang on these two. So the idea is that there are broader things under here. So let's secondly spend the balance of our time today talking about then the expansive application of this beyond this core point. This can be applied broadly to our lives. And so we want to think about we should never use God's name to bolster our words as being true, never lift up his name, and that would include God, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord, 
in a careless or irreverent way. In Jesus' prayer that he taught us, he begins with the fact that God's name is to be what? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a verbal form of holy. God's name is a reflection of his character. He is holy, set apart, pure and perfect. And so that name carries the entire reputation of the person. And so we should never speak in a way that, right, where we're holding his name up to, to, to back up our words. But then also the expansive application of this is that we should never speak in a way that defaces his name. And we should never live in a way that defaces or mocks his name. And so for time's sake today, I'm going to go down those two trails with you for the rest of this message to talk about how can we defame God with our words beyond this idea of using his name to back up my words? What are other applications of this about how I speak? And then we're going to look about at this in relationship to our actions. So with our words, what are some ways we can speak as well that defaces, mocks, diminishes, or cheapens the name of God or lifts up his name in vain? You know, as our culture moves away from God and the influence of Christ, it also loses reverence for God and for Christ. And that shows up in language, how the culture speaks. And so we hear the name of Jesus increasingly used in a way that I didn't hear when I was really young, but we hear Jesus' name or Christ's name used, or the two names together, as an expletive. We also hear the name of God used as a curse, like if you're going to damn someone, curse someone, and you use God's name in that. Our former president did that on a number of occasions in public speeches, even with children present, while seeking to say, while seeking to say he's a Christian. Now, perhaps he is just ignorant and untaught. But Christians should never lift up the name of God or the Lord Jesus in a demeaning way. To do that is also to take the name of the Lord in vain, to lift it up in some worthless way. Furthermore, and this is not even thought about much, or seen as a misuse of God's name in our culture anymore, when we see like OMG on social media in reference to God. Or when people say things like, oh Lord. Now while some people may not see this in the same way as taking God's name in vain, and don't hear me beating you up if you were just ignorant of the fact, it is easy to use words without thinking at times or just fall into cultural pattern, not intending to be offensive to the Lord. Yet, in my heart, as I read Scripture and how people want to handle God's name carefully and how he talks about his name, I believe we should seek to rise above all of this easy cultural expression because it falls short of hallowing his name. And this has trickled down in our culture to the point that these types of things are on the lips even of children in elementary school. And in short, we should just avoid using God's name in that way. It's right and good to use God's name to say things such as praise God or praise Yahweh. That should be on our lips a lot, right? Or glory to God or even hallelujah. The Baptists are not used to saying a whole lot. But what does the word hallelujah mean? Praise Jehovah. Praise Yahweh is what it means. And we should use that a lot when we're rejoicing and holding up and honoring the name of God. But his representatives of Jesus who honored the name of the Father, right? Jesus himself, God in flesh, he honored the name of the Father. 
Well, then we should be thoughtful about our words when using the name of God or Jesus. Now, some people have raised the question, is it okay then if I substitute things like, oh my gosh, or oh my word, which we hear a lot. And I would say if you're doing so to avoid saying the other, right? I think probably that is, that is okay. I've heard uh, some ethicists argue in that direction as I've thought about it. I, I think so. You know, the meaning of words change over time. Wayne Grudem has noted this. And I think he does a good job of kind of working through some of this. He says, so, you know, he said, he, we, he said we hear words and phrases like, by Jove. Anybody ever heard by Jove? Well, what in the world? Who is Jove? <laughs> well, by Jove. Nobody remembers that, but Jove was a god. It was the god Jupiter, the god of the sky and thunder. But nobody, when they say, by Jove, has any idea when I just said it, who in the world that was. Or the day after tomorrow, when you get up, you're going to say, this is what day? Day after tomorrow, you count. Tomorrow's Monday. What's the next day? <laughs> What's Tuesday? Right? Tuesday means Oh yeah, Valentine's is tomorrow. <laughs> My wife wanted you to know that. Now listen, guys, I just want to say, when our speaker's coming March 12th and 13th, who's coming? Charles Lowry, right? And we're going to have a meal catered by Sullivan's in the gym. We can seat 300 people, and it's going to be $25 a piece, which is a pretty good deal. You get free child care speaker, all that. But I just want to say, guys, tomorrow, go online and buy your tickets for next month, and you don't have to do anything else tomorrow, all right, <laughs> for Valentine's Day. you got it covered. That's what I'm going to do, honey. So, <laughs> so, Tuesday, you're going to say Tuesday. Well, that means Zeus's day. Well, who was Zeus? He was a a God in the ancient world, but we don't think about that when we say Tuesday. Or Thursday means Thor's day. But again, no one thinks of those words anymore as invoking the name of, of the God. And thus when one says, oh my gosh, at this point in our culture, probably few people are hearing anything to do with the name of God anyway. Or oh my word, they're not hearing anything as related to the eternal word of God, Jesus, right? And so I think if we're intentionally using that to go around using God's name in an inappropriate way, as a believer wanting to guard his name, those would be, I think, good substitutes. But in thinking of this matter further, about using the Lord's name in vain, it's also using God's name in vain when people teach wrong things about God and say, God said this means we should also be very careful when we ever in experience say, well, God told me this. Because you are lifting up his name to back up what you're saying has taken place. And so when somebody teaches wrongly, a cult, or somebody that teaches some doctrine wrongly, and they say this is coming from God, that is using God's name in vain. That is to blaspheme the name of God. 
It's also to blaspheme God's name when anyone equates other names for God as though it does not matter what you call Him, as is done sometimes in interfaith prayer meetings or sometimes prayers before our Congress that invoke many different gods. Or as the liberal wing of the Presbyterian Church has discussed, the liberal wing is trying to change the names of God from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to something like overflowing fount, living water, and flowing river. We don't have the authority ever to do that. That is to blaspheme and to dishonor the name of God. And we should also not ever demean the name of God by treating it as some cheap slogan, such as God is my homie. I'm uncomfortable with God as my co-pilot. Even when someone says, pray to the quote-unquote God of your understanding, that is to misuse the name of God. Because the one true and living God has revealed himself and he has told us what to call him. And that doesn't rise up from within me to decide what he should be called. I don't think we should seek to impose penalties on people in our culture who misuse God's name through things like blasphemy laws, which used to be on our books. Nor do I think that we should go around and try to correct pagans who misuse God's name. You remember just as a kid, um, my mother was kind of bent this way. I'm not sure that this was one she did in this context, so... But have you ever been sitting at a ball game, somebody's using bad language behind you and your kids are there and you want to stand up and correct them or they misuse God's name, you want to stand up and correct them? Well, you have to let God lead you in that, but I don't think that is our call necessarily to try to tell a pagan how, how they're going to speak in that way. But you and I, nevertheless, should hallow the Lord's name and always use language about God in a way that respects and honors Him. We should always honor the name of God, the Lord Jesus, without wanting to hurt others who do not honor Jesus. We should do that more than Muslims seek to protect the name of the false prophet at the center of their religion, Muhammad. Some Muslims will kill you over the misuse of the name Muhammad, right? Or want to kill you. We should not want to harm anybody, but we should be as intent on honoring the name of Jesus, right? Upholding his name and how I live and think and go about my life, much more so than a Muslim thinks about honoring the name of Muhammad. Our heart should want to honor him. We should hallow him. So our speech should always move in the direction of leading people to hallow or respect his name and to fear him as the one true and living God whose name is Yahweh. And it carries with it the full overarching name, I am that I am, who has revealed himself in Jesus, the Lord saves, given a name to define what his mission was. And so with our words, we should always seek to honor the Lord. But then, secondly, as we look at this more expansive application, we should also make sure that we do not dishonor the Lord or take his name in vain with our actions or in our lives, how we live how we think. And perhaps we've never really thought about it. And I've not really ever heard it preached on. And it drove me deeper in preparing this message to think more deeply about this in my own life. But we can also use the Lord's name in a vain and an empty way, a dishonoring way in how we live. This is certainly not original to me, obviously. I'm learning as I've 
done this. I, I've known this, but I've been challenged by it in a fresh way. And Christian ethicists have pointed this out. As we said last week, that our being made in God's image means that we represent God on the earth. We're the ones who represent God. As believers in Jesus, we are called what? Christians, which means that we're saying we're little Christs. And so we say we're representing Him. So in that sense, our actions proclaim something about God and about His name. And we hear this in connection with uh, taking the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing very soon. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to point out this connection. I'm going to ask you to kind of put your thinking cap on. It's not hard, but just follow the logic and the way the Bible ties this together here to see that our actions can be tied to using the Lord's name in vain. So in 1 Corinthians... We see that they come to take the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11. And they had sometimes a feast fellowship before the Lord's Supper. And so the Corinthians were doing this, but by their actions, the rich people got there first. They didn't have to work. A lot of the rest of them were slaves, and they were poor. But the rich got there, and, and they met in homes, and they got there before the poor arrived, and they separated themselves into the bigger rooms of the house. The poor would be in the smaller rooms right in the garden. And they would go ahead and eat, and go ahead and go forward with what they were doing. And I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 20, what does Paul say to them? When you're doing this this way, your actions... And they're doing this in the name of the Lord. He says, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, right? You're not honoring the Lord's name because this is not what the Lord would have you do. You're dishonoring His name here. They were using His name in vain. He goes on in this passage to talk about as well how their actions in partaking of the Lord's Supper, they proclaim something about God. So if you go down to verse 26 of chapter 11, he says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming something about what God has done and act, how he's acted in Jesus. So this concept then of the name of the Lord, using the Lord's name here in the Lord's Supper, and our actions are bound together. We see that as well in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. When he says, 1 Corinthians 10 31, just right before what we read in chapter 11, verse 31, chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the what? Glory of God. Now you can take that in one way as the praise of God, but the idea here is what we, should, we do should, should always honor Him for His glory. Now if you recall where we are in the book of Exodus, when God's given them the law and this idea of glory, this all comes together. Because you remember Moses went on the mountain and he said, Lord, show me your what? Glory. But before Moses did that, here's what had happened. They had come out of the Egypt. They're making their way to the promised land. They come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law, the two tablets, Right? And he's a long time up there. The Israelites get uh, anxious and frustrated, so they ask Aaron to make for them a golden what? 
calf. And he does so, and they're dancing around it and saying, this, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And Moses comes down the mountain, and he's angry. And he, right, he, he throws the tablets down, and they shatter. And God's ready to wipe them out. And he says, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'll raise up a people to follow you. But Moses goes up on the mountain again to intercede, to pray for Israel. You recall that? To ask God to spare them. And that's when he asked God to show him his glory. So let's go to Exodus chapter 33, and let's see how, how God, what God says. Moses says, show me your glory. And what is God's request? And this is right in the same vein of where he's given them these Ten Commandments. One is to not use my name wrongly. And so in Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses has said, Lord, show me your glory. In verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And listen, and I will proclaim what? My name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then God gave him the Ten Commandments again on new tablets. The idea here is that their obedience or their lack of obedience is related to honoring and glorifying the name of God. Their actions were tied to that. And God ties all that together for us with this concept of glory and His name in relationship to their sin. And so we find scriptures like these in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. I'm just going to read it to you. You can turn and read it if you want. But here's what Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 says. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Right? Who is this person? What is this name? Or listen, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. There you see it, right? There's the tie. By stealing, you're profaning the name of the Lord. Lifting, using his name in vain. Having his name besmirched by your actions. Not giving him proper glory in how you live. And so all of these ideas then are tied together. And if our minds... If our minds have not yet gone there, thinking ahead of where I am, our minds should go to right here as believers, to that baptistry. Most every one of us in this room has been baptized. Have we not? And if you haven't, you need to be. And when we are baptized, in Matthew 28, let's turn there, and we hear Jesus tell us how we're to baptize people in verses 19 and 20, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all the peoples. I'll let you catch up. This is important. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Would you read the rest of this verse with me? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now here is a clear allusion in the gospel to the Trinity, one God, singular name, three persons. But notice he says we're to baptize in the name. It's in the authority of that name we're baptized. But the idea further is that we now come under that name, as scholars would tell us. We submit to him as Lord. That you confess with the mouth Jesus is Lord, often done in the waters of baptism. So we're under his name, under the authority of that name. And so we're identified with that name. And just as people were given names to signify who they are centrally, Jesus, you shall give him that name, for he shall save his people from their sins. His name means the Lord saves. So our name, Christian, people baptized in the name of Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, says something about us. And how we live then says something about God. And so the next part of that verse is, then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have done what? commanded you and so we are now under right we're under his name we're representing him we are to exalt his name never use his name in vain because we want to live in the right way to honor his name and so this should drive us to a greater desire for holiness and so we can take the name of the Lord in vain when we willfully sin and live and think and act in disobedience. You know, in the South, and maybe it's this way in other parts of the country, I don't know, I'm a Southern boy and I've not researched a lot of these uh, cultural things in the various subcultures of our country or sections of our country, but I, I do know it was here, true here in the past. That is, people were raised in a way that uh, they thought about their actions in relationship to their families. Or the family what? Name. Your family lived in a particular way, and they had certain standing and respect in the community, even if you had meager means. I grew up with a family with meager means. But my dad had a very well-respected well name because of how he had lived his life. And so you wanted to live in such a way that you never wanted to do anything to bring shame on the family name, to embarrass your father through your actions that lessened the, the name or the standing or respect the family had in the community. And that seems to have died to a great degree now culturally. But for us, disciples of Jesus, it cannot die in relationship to our Heavenly Father, hallowed be His name. And our aim should be to never dishonor His name either in word or deed. And so now I ask you as we wrap up to turn to Colossians three seventeen, which I told you we would come back to. And I want to just ask you to read it out loud with me. Similar to the one we read in 1 Corinthians. But Colossians 3. In verse 17, I'm going to ask you to stand now if you would, and we're going to read this out loud, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to wrap this up. You ready? 
Say hallelujah if you're ready. Hallelujah. Yeah, I like that. Here we go. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him.